welcome to the first episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie Rogers, and I'm here with Chris Hutchinson. Chris, tell everybody who you are. How's everybody doing? Uh, I am Chris Hutchinson. Fortunate enough to be here with Katie. I'm kind of her little sidekick for this experiment. I am an entrepreneur, been um, in business, sales, marketing, operations for the last 20 or so years, and then went out on my own and started my first company called The CoLab Group in 2015, and then followed that up with starting my second company called The Pint Cycle in 2016. In addition to that, I'm a son, brother, husband, and father, and I did get my master's degree in sports psychology, which will come into play a little bit later today. Katie, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Katie Rogers, and I'm a farmer, a produce farmer. I host a television show in the southeastern U.S. called Katie on the Farm, where we get to meet chefs and growers and people involved in the food system, and it's a lot of fun. And um, I also work in strategic messaging, so we'll end up talking a lot about that world and how we communicate. And You just finished your... Uh second season of Katie on the Farm, didn't you? I did. I just finished my second season, um, and I got to see rum from sugarcane all the way to the bottle, and I found out there was something called sipping rum. We have so much to learn on this podcast. Yeah, I can't wait to learn about that, and I think that is a nice entrance into kind of the theme of this podcast. Katie and I have been working together for a number of different projects over the last several years, and every time we get together, we're always talking about, gosh, I wish people knew about this, or man, wouldn't it be cool if people had a better understanding of this topic? And so what we're really trying to do in this podcast is help people understand what they should know about, and then you insert a topic. So we're going to try and learn together and educate each other and also get participation from you, our listeners, about topics that you're passionate about and things that we can hopefully share and uh, learn about together. So that's kind of a little bit about us and what we're hoping to accomplish with this podcast. With that, uh, we should probably jump into a little bit about what we want to talk about today. And Chris, this is going to be the most fundamental thing that I wish everyone we talked to understood. So I'm going to lead with my favorite subject. Okay. What's that? In groups and out groups. Doesn't that sound exciting? I, I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Okay. So, so often um, we sit around and we talk about um, some communications gig or a documentary we're putting together and... One of the things that I keep in mind in when I'm communicating with anybody is the idea of in-groups and out-groups. No one's immune to it. It's how we all see the world and we see every interaction. And we just aren't aware of it most of the time. We aren't cognizant of it, right? So sure. an in-group is any group that you consider yourself a member of. And this can be in a very simple situation, for instance, two moms with fussing kids in line at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Everyone's looking at them and right. they make eye contact. And that's where you get that hunger right. game, solidarity, <laughs> fist in the air. We are together. <laughs> right, right. I got you. You make that eye contact, right? So in that moment, the moms with the fussy toddlers, they're kind of this loose in-group with each other. And if some terrible thing happened in that grocery store, in that moment, the first people beyond their children that they would look to for safety or to help or to assist in some way would be each other because they've identified themselves as some kind of an in-group. The same thing happens when you're in traffic on this loose level and you see somebody whose bumper sticker resonates with you and you're sure. like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. I agree. So so that's one, one way to look at in-groups. On another level, there's uh, more formal associations, right? Uh, religious membership. Mm -hmm. 
there's uh, political affiliation, sure. right? There's all these beliefs that you have or groups that you formally join that make up these groups. And uh, on the flip side, outgroups. Right. And outgroups are groups that you believe to be other, you're not a member of. And a weird thing about this that I hate to wrap my head around, but it's so true, is that we tend to ascribe more human attributes to people we see in our in-group and less human attributes, sure. even animal attributes, to people that are from our out-groups. And you may think you don't do this, but you do. Like, I, in my mind, am more likely to look at someone in an out-group that I find kind of repugnant mm -hmm. and think of them as like a monster. Right? Sure. And you're just like, oh. And, and we see this one in insults, right? The kinds of insults we fling around. A lot of that has to do with identifying out-groups and um, lumping them into a category that's easier for us to fail to empathize with. So I have a question. Yeah. Do you think that the construct of social media and the predominance of social media in, say, the last 10 to 15 years, do you think that has made it more obvious of who is in your in-group or who is an out-group person just by your interactions on social media? Do you think that plays a role at all? It does. And what I see is a solidification of in-groups with social media, right? We literally join groups when we're on there and we can hit like, or in some cases hit that we don't like or we're shocked by or, right. or angry at something based on this in-group, out-group affiliation. So... In some ways, it's great because in-groups can be very productive together. Mm -hmm. They say, I have a shared value or goal, ideally, right? And we're going to work towards that goal. And sometimes that's a good thing for everybody or a good thing for them and not actually detrimental to an out-group. And other times we see that organization causing a problem. So sometimes that creates this kind of insulated environment. You get the echo chamber. Right. We're all terrified of, right? We're just like, oh no, the echo chamber. We should be. You should be cognizant and worried about being in an echo chamber, which isn't the same thing as having a safe place to go to, to vent and talk about things, right? Ideally, your in-group will be a place where people have trust for each other and therefore people can be honest and vulnerable and that's a good side to in-groups. But that can be turned around and you create, you know, like the incels online right. and these groups that use their cohesion to damage everything. And so that's an issue. But it's a universal concept. Everybody's got it. Um, some of them are voluntary and some are involuntary. So you are you are born into a cultural in-group, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you don't really have a say in that. Right. That's just who you're born into. So. Exactly, exactly. And you are in that culture frequently born into a religious group. When you're an adult and you join that synagogue or church mm -hmm. or whatever it is, now it's a voluntary association, right? Not a voluntary past, but a voluntary association with the in-group now. So these groups shape our identity, Right. Right. And we use them to social signal our identity. Right. I have stickers all over my laptop and on my water bottle and letting people oh my, know, yeah. hey, this is, you know, yeah, this is these, my in-group. This is my affiliation. These, these are my in-groups. Right. So I stand in solidarity with these groups. And, and once you realize that you're looking at the world that way and everyone else is, too, it gives you an idea of where we all stand and maybe what it's going to take to talk to people in other groups or where your in-group is a problem, mm -hmm. right? Where you get that bad. So yeah, another thing that kind of popped in my head is I feel like right now in, in America society, people are really rooted in and connected with their in-group and 
easily identify who is in their outgroup. And it feels like people are digging their heels in and are resistant to interacting or having conversations with or even exploring potential overlaps uh, amongst you know, in and out groups. And I, I feel like those conversations are more and more challenging to have. It feels like things are very divided. And if people aren't in your group, you almost automatically make some assumptions about people that are outside Absolutely. of your group. And to me, I feel like, and, and I'd love your two cents on this, but I feel like we need to get to a point where some of those cross-group conversations are, we're able to start having those. And I think a big, big barrier to that is People have their in-group source of information. They have their in-group of where they're going to receive news or media from, and they're very unlikely to look outside of those sources. So these, what might be my in-group and as someone else's in-group, but I consider an out-group, we're getting our information from different sources, and it makes it very challenging to have kind of a neutral conversation about mm -hmm. topics. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And So look at that with two different frames. Um, the first is that it's a problem when your in-groups have a tendency to all align, right? Mm -hmm. So if, like me, you're born into white culture and you are the dominant religion, mm -hmm. you are the dominant political group for your area, you are in the largest school system, you have a similar role to all the people in your neighborhood academically or in your profession, all of these align so much that you're not getting outside information. Now, the reason we want to seek relationships with people who don't have perfectly aligned in-group statuses is so that we can open our minds to the experiences of others mm -hmm. and we don't end up in that situation. So where in-groups overlap but don't align, for instance, someone who shares your religious faith but not your political affiliation. Now you guys have something that you have in common and it makes you safe to talk to on some level, but you also are able to see someone in your in-group as someone who has a varying opinion on something else and causes that kind of acceptance. And that's where progress gets made, sure. right? That's, yeah, yeah. that's where we expand. And we're constantly, we should be, in my opinion, constantly looking to expand those experiences and our exposure to anecdotes from things outside of our own circle. And so those overlaps are really important. Awesome. All right. So I think that is a good stopping point. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'd like to talk and mention, and you'll hear us mention this a lot, is we do want feedback and interaction from our audience members. So on that topic of in-groups and out-groups, Katie and I would love to hear your thoughts as well. So you can either hit us on Twitter at Katie and Me Pod. that's K-A-T-Y-A-N-D-M-E-P-O-D, with your thoughts on that topic, or you can email us either at chrisandkatieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on in-groups and out-groups, and that might be a topic that we touch on again in future episodes. With that, before we transition into our next topic, I'd like to mention that the sponsor for this episode is the CoLab Group. The CoLab Group is a niche consulting company focused on providing business growth, messaging, communication, and improvement consulting services for startup and small business organizations. Some of their services include business development and marketing, food and agricultural messaging and strategic communication, and social media and email campaign development and management. So as always, thank you to the CoLab Group for sponsoring this episode. Uh, next, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, my background as an entrepreneur and, quite honestly, the stress that's associated with being an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur, I think, is, or entrepreneurship is 
a really big buzzword and has been really highlighted, I would say, in the last 10 or 15 years as something that a lot of people are labeling themselves as. Uh, and I think entrepreneurs have been around forever, obviously. I want to be, be clear on that. But I think within the last decade or two, people have really started kind of gravitating towards that. I want to create my own mark in the world, and I don't necessarily want to be under the constraints of others. And that's kind of like how I got to that spot as well. I was fairly successful, I'd like to think, in the business world, worked in a variety of roles for 20 plus years, got my undergrad degree in psychology and went on and got my master's degree in sports psychology. It was initially set on going into the world and becoming a sports psychologist, but quite honestly, two years after a master's thesis, I was pretty burnt out on doing all the reading and researching and realized maybe a doctorate wasn't going to be the best avenue for me. So I started in sport marketing and kind of worked in a number of sport marketing businesses, which evolved into positions and operations and uh, developing some processes for businesses. And what I realized is that there wasn't a necessarily a tremendous amount of loyalty in big companies. So I use this example when I'm trying to explain to people, comes across as braggadocious, but I don't mean it to be. But uh, it was my second company where I had been named an employee of the year or had garnered some type of regional or national recognition within an organization. And six months later, my entire department had been eliminated with the exception of one person. Ouch. And, and I had gotten caught up in that. I was one of the, one of the n several people that were eliminated. And, you know, my wife had heard me talk about forever, man, I just want to do my own thing. I think if I provide excellent customer service and come up with a way to serve clients, I think, I think I could be successful at it. And so with that, uh, we started the collab group and there was a lot of stress involved in making that decision. My wife is also fairly entrepreneurial, and she's a 1099 contractor. And so by me no longer working in corporate America, things like health insurance and 401ks and things along those lines went by the wayside. And so there's the stress of that and, and this financial stress that suddenly gets placed on your household. It's where you go from knowing what your paychecks are going to be essentially month to month to being some big question marks there, it can be very stressful and it puts stress on your relationship. And so I think kind of my, not word of warning, but what I want people to understand is that, yeah, there's this, there's this coolness and this like, hey, I'm an entrepreneur, but you really have to think about what the impact is going to be on your household income, your personal income, before you kind of delve into this. And I think it's important that you have really transparent conversations with your significant other or your business partner or whomever uh, so that you really know kind of what you're getting into. So that's that's one. Second <laughs> is <laughs> the Wait, relationship. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, exactly. It, it, uh, it's kind of never ending. So, you know, you never fight about money when you're married, right? So, uh, so in addition to the financial stress, there's then stress on your relationship because when you are starting up a business or if you're starting a business with your significant other, you're putting in a lot of hours. And what immediately goes by the wayside is you know, time with your family because you can always be doing something. There's always one more call you could be making. There's always one more meeting that you can have. There's always one more hustle that you can try and make. And so what sacrifices is, you know, time away from your family. And then you combine that with the fact that you're not necessarily bringing in a steady paycheck. There's a lot of friction that can happen. And what 
you know, I was fortunate enough. I have a very supportive and understanding wife. But what we quickly learned is that, you know, we need to talk about this on a regular basis and we need to figure out ways that we can communicate effectively to identify what we're stressed out about and have productive conversations. Some of that is done through conversations with our therapist, but also we've learned that sometimes we text each other. We could be in, we could be in the same house and we may text <laughs> each other things because we know that we're both at the point where it could turn into a really kind of upsetting, yeah, like yeah. a volatile <laughs> argument. And so there are times where we could be sitting 100 feet from each other and we're texting each other our thoughts on things. And it really, it works for us. I'm not, I guess my point is that you have to find your communication method. But for us, it works because we can kind of get the content out there, digest it on our own without feeling the need to defend ourselves or over talk or try and be heard over the other person. And so I think there's a lot that goes into becoming an entrepreneur. How are you going to communicate? How are you going to sustain the financial burdens? What is your timeline? All of those things have to be considered. Uh, and we did that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know a breeze afterwards either. So I know I've got a lot of coffee in me, Katie, so I just went on a diatribe there. But um, <laughs> No, that's great. It's also one of the most modern stories I've ever heard, right? Entrepreneurial, you're under stress, you're texting your wife <laughs> in yeah. the same house. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. And now we've added uh, texting our 12-year-old daughter sometimes too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you have to use the communication channels that are available to you. So I think my lasting point with that is... Yes, being an entrepreneur is awesome. You do have a lot of quote unquote freedom in terms of what you're going to do for a living and creating your own brand and all those types of things. But it's more than just having a great business idea. There's a lot of other things that go into it as well. And I think it's important that you're aware of those before you just kind of delve into something 100%. So make sure that you are talking to other people, reach out, go have coffee with people that have already done it, pick their brains, uh, figure out what resources they've utilized. There's so much free available content out there to help you and make sure that you're doing that and, and putting in your due diligence before you kind of make that leap in. With that, I think we can put a little bow on, on that topic. All right, so people aren't disposable and if you wanna work for yourself and live that out, you shouldn't self-abuse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's always good to, um, Make sure that you do something that occasionally generates revenue as well. So, oh, that <laughs> yeah. that's good. Getting paid is also Monetize is also big. Yeah, monetizing your time is endeavor. also really good as well. It's <laughs> it's amazing like what paying yourself can do for your uh, ego. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to us by Collab Group, and we appreciate that sponsorship. And everyone should go contact them right now. Yeah, is that a good plug? Yeah, that's, that's a great plug. Like Thank you. Well done. <laughs> and the website on that is thecollabgroup.net. And that's T-H-E-C-O-L-A-B-G-R-O-U-P dot net. Awesome. Do you want right. to get into our third and final topic I for this episode? Do. I am so excited about this topic. Little background here. I was a server and tended bar through college, and it took me longer to get through college than most people. So that was for a while. <laughs> and that's where I'm going to leave that. Um, but across the spectrum, right? So I've done, I've done like the corporate franchisee uh -huh. stuff, and then I've done private, kind of higher price point, nicer sure. places, and so. Have you ever bartended on a bike? 
Unap- <laughs> no, you've got that covered yeah, for yeah, us, though, right. right? I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have you bartend on the bike one night. So. Oh man, that'd be awesome. I'm just kidding. I can't stand <laughs> doing it. I'm tired of it. Um, <laughs> but our third topic is: What do bartenders and servers wish you knew? So, if you are a bartender or a server out there and you want to add feedback, you can go to our Twitter feed for the Katie and Me podcast. And give us more information, you know, throw some more stuff on. Maybe we can get to it in the next couple of weeks. Maybe I think in the future we're going to break this down a little further. Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I think it's going to need a, a part two for sure just because right. there's so much out there. And some of the initial feedback we got was was really good. So it is. And it's should, really consistent. Yeah, we should we should delve right into it. So I'll let you take the lead on this one. OK, well, um, leading up to the holidays here. We're going to have more time off. We're going to be spending money, have it or not, in bars and restaurants. So we asked people on social media what they wish we knew about their job in the restaurant industry, particularly serving people. And Chris, this brought back so many memories. Yeah, and nightmares, right? Yes, man, literally nightmares. So you were talking about financial stress earlier. I'm going to throw right up front the financial stress of serving. Even if you are a professional serving in a very expensive restaurant, it is inconsistent. Absolutely. It is inconsistent. A, a bad night can wreck your ability to pay your can bills. Can wreck your month. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read through some of the things people told us. Sure. And then you and I can throw in our own yeah, absolutely. experiences here. But we heard that this is a real, quotes, job, mm-hmm. and it's not as easy as it looks. And that idea that everybody who's doing it is somehow just working some second gig to pay for Christmas or whatever is inaccurate, wildly Mm -hmm. inaccurate. A lot of people doing this are trying to go to school, are supporting a family, are, you know, they have all the same bills to pay that the rest of us have to pay. And so to be flippant about it because they wear an apron or because they're taking care of you is really wrong. We're servers, not servants, mm-hmm. right? I heard that one as well. Yeah, yeah, we're here to help you and to take care of you, but there's a demeanor issue there. This is one of my favorites, cash talks. So verbal gratuity doesn't pay the mortgage or buy groceries, right? I used to have people all the time that would be like, you were great, thank right. you so much. And they'd fawn and they'd fawn and the blood would just drain. You're like, you're not gonna leave exactly. me. Hardly anything here. You think that being nice makes up for it. Being nice is important. It's I'm not downplaying that, but that literally is not gonna pay for my housing or my food. So. And I think that rolls into one that we heard is, if you can't afford a tip well, then you can't afford to go out. Absolutely. So, Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> verbal is nice. I mean, it's nice to be recognized, but this is a cash-based industry. I mean, yeah. this is a tip-based industry. And tips aren't just a a nice-to-have. They are a must-have. People are in this service industry to, to make money. Yeah, and, they're figured in. And granted, if you're a horrible server or aren't very good at your job, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to tip the same that you would tip someone that does an outstanding job. I don't think that's what we're saying here. But most of the servers and bartenders that I've met or that I work with in my experience with the Pine Cycle, they are hustlers and they're there to make sure that you have the best time possible. And they will do anything they can within reason to make sure that you have that great time. Well, then that needs to be reflected in how you thank them. And again, the best way to do that is with with cash. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's figured in. I got to work at a restaurant once that got in trouble for going back and changing our tips so oh, they wouldn't wow. have to pay us the two thirteen an hour oh, that we were owed. Yeah, yeah nice. so <laughs> that was great. Uh, but, you know, this one, 
I heard from several people, and I'm going to amen this too. I'm not at work to be hit on. Huh. Right? I get that all the time. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I actually the, do on the bike. On the I bike. Do. I believe but, that. You know. I believe that. Well, you know, and, and anytime there's alcohol involved, you've got that social lubricant, sure, right? Sure. So the, the guard starts coming down. Just remember that's on the other side right. of the Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and and I'll tell you in the in the post-show content, the private content, I'll give yeah. you a great story about that. I will that, too. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't share it on this episode right now. All right. Well, um, the job involves a lot more than you see and this really this really pairs with another one we got is that this is complex in a lot of ways and in most of these jobs so you go on and maybe this isn't your career you go on to another job as an employer i wait people who have been in the service industry and here's why it's can you deal with upset people yeah, how about drunk guys who've been rejected in front of their buddies and they lost their job that day? I can deal with upset people. I can deal with rude people. Can you manage money, inventory, and staff all with a smile? No problem. Can you work with financial constraints while you're being treated like garbage? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got this. So I would rather hire someone who has worked in this industry. You know, and there's there's nothing worse than going out with your friends who have never done it. Right. And they're either lousy tippers or they're rude to the server and you want to crawl under the table yeah. or knock it over or slap them. or And you're like mouthing to the server, I'm so, I'm so sorry. sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many times have you left oh, more money yeah, on a table? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. like I've had a dig in my pocket when my friends aren't <laughs> yeah. looking to try and like add on and like oh. also give the eyes like, hey, I understand. I'm sorry. My friends are jerks. I, you know, I'm not. Yeah. I have done that so many times. And I try, I've done it sometimes when I'm with maybe um, older people sure. who just, they don't tip the way we tip right. now. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, I don't want to offend the people I'm with. But exactly. at the same time, this poor server, right? So yeah, I've uh, been in that situation a lot. So uh, frequently, one of the things I ran into behind the bar and came up was that people will be absolute jerks to you but expect you to be nice. And it's this weird imbalance. It goes back to that, am I a servant thing, right? So a little basic courtesy would go a long way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So and people forget that they're, you know, most servers and bartenders, they're helping, you know, four four tables at a time. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not like they're just yeah. there for you. Yeah. And I, I think having that bigger picture mentality is also is also helpful. It is. Absolutely. You need to be aware that there are other people. And there's other things going on, right? Your server is navigating the kitchen right. staff right. <laughs> and their stress, right? And the manager and their stress. And, and there's all these different dynamics and relationship circles that are happening in that room. And if you've ever tried to 5S something, which I think we're going to get into in an episode mm -hmm. a little bit, the spaghetti map on a restaurant is is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's nuts. no matter how much you try and lean the situation because there's so many people involved, it's really tough. So the other thing is you need to trust your servers and your bartenders if you particularly if you're drinking. I mean, trust them if they tell you that something is the best thing on the menu. Definitely, they get a lot of feedback, but also if we tell you to stop, you need to stop. Right. <laughs> because we are the people navigating this whole situation from the 10,000 foot We're view. We're controlling the, how the rest of your evening is going <laughs> right, to go. So, right, right. Yeah. So, and that, I think, covers the bulk of the feedback that we got from yeah. people. Yeah. I, I mean, subject. we would love to hear more. And again, in maybe future episodes, you know, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. And if you do have thoughts on that, please hit us on Twitter at Katie and Me Pod, or you can email us at Chris and Katie and Me dot com or Katie at Katie and Me dot com. All right. Chris, With, that's time. It is time. We are going to stick to a very regimented time schedule so that you guys can <laughs> digest these episodes quickly. But uh, Katie, it was great to get the first one under our belts. Yeah, Chris, I learned something from you again. That's and vice why versa. we're here. All right, and we're learning stuff from the people giving us feedback. So everybody go out and be a better guest in the service industry. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Chris.